Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you today, whether you're here in person or online or listening later on the podcast. Um, Yesterday, we had a leadership retreat at um, Pat and Donna's house, and it was really lovely. And it's with our Servant Leadership Council, and they're sort of like Wellspring's equivalent of a board. And I have to say, I really love those people. They're really wonderful. You have you have good, trustworthy leaders here at Wellspring, and the only thing I regret is that we did not take a picture. <laughs> so um, whenever we approach one of you to say, "Hey, will you join our team?" No, the one requirement is that you have to be better at taking photos than we are. <laughs> we need someone who can remember the photos because we did not get one. But just wanted to let you know we're we're having we're working behind the scenes, and uh, yeah, we really I really love your leaders, our leaders together. And yesterday. After the retreat was over,、um, I suddenly remembered sort of the heavy weight that I had pushed off aside, and that was that I still had to write the sermon. <laughs> and I'm not complaining, you know, it's a it's a privilege.、Um, and I had, you know, done a lot of research over it and a lot of reading and outline making, but I hadn't actually written the thing. And as I was thinking to myself, why why does it feel heavy, heavier than usual this week? Why does it feel like a weight? And I realized it felt a little weighty. Um, because it was hard to follow. It's hard to follow Pastor Cheryl's message from last week, which was、uh, just beautiful and poignant. And、um, we've been in the Good, Kind, and Beautiful series, and these are three marks of a life well lived: good, beautiful, and kind. And there are three three marks of being in God's presence.、Um, when we exhibit and grow in the fruit of the Spirit, our life looks good, beautiful, and kind. And there, what grows in us as we follow the commandment、um, that Jesus gave—the one that sums up all the rest. So good, kind, and beautiful. Yet often these are not the way that we describe our world. Right? It would not be the way we describe the way things are. And、um, Pastor Cheryl was able to speak really from her heart and from her experience last week. It's almost like she's she's gotten to this vista point, and she can look back and say, "Yes, I experienced this betrayal. I experienced trauma. I experienced abuse, and God has brought me this far. I've done. I've gone through this journey even in myself." And she's almost at a, a vantage point, like a vista where she can look back and say, "Look at how far God has brought me." And she shared that with us last week, inviting us to to face the forces that fragment us. As we're invited,、um, as we face them, to be able to move further into what is good and beautiful and kind. And、um, I think it's a hard message to follow because it felt like she's at a vantage point where she can look back. And I have to say, today's story、um, doesn't feel really like there's a big vantage point to look at. It almost feels like today's story, where we find ourselves, is kind of in the weeds. That's sometimes where I kind of feel like my life with God is, my formation with God is. I don't have this grand vista to look at and be like, "Look at how far God has brought me." Sometimes it just feels like I'm just in the muck, like trekking with God. And、um, I have this picture to show you. When、um, at last month,、uh, the day before my birthday, I went to Maui to visit some friends who were visiting、um, from college that I hadn't seen them in like 15 years. And they brought me to this beautiful vantage point.、Um, this falls, so we went on this hike, and it ended at Hanehoi Falls. And you can see the fall there. That's what it looks like、um, when it's not like very rainy. And this is what it looks like when it is very rainy. Thankfully, we were there at a time it wasn't too rainy, and we were right in the falls, so at the very top. So there I am at the top, and、I'm, I tried. I want to get the vantage point right. Like I didn't take those first two pictures. I just found those online because I couldn't see quite where I was because it was a little too scary, and I wanted to live to see my birthday the next day. 
But it was this gorgeous vista. From what I could see, it was phenomenal. You could see this whole valley, and it went all the way out to the beach, to, all the way from the mountain to the beach. It was phenomenal. And the thing is, when you were hiking it, I didn't get any photos of the hike because it was so steep downhill and so weedy that I couldn't take my phone out. I was just in the weeds. And today's text, we find ourselves this long, hard story of someone who's just been in the weeds, and we see this little picture of them at the end, near the end of their life. And it's not a huge vantage point sometimes when we look at our spiritual lives and we see how we are walking with Jesus. So today, whether you feel like you are at that vantage point, you can look back and you're saying, "Wow, look at what God has done! I have perspective now on these things that have happened. I have perspective on how far I've come. I have perspective on where I need further healing." Or maybe you're just on a hillside. You can't take the phone out because it's too brambly and too steep. Wherever you feel in your walk with God, my prayer today is that you will be able to sense God's invitation to open yourself to God right where you are, to open yourself to God and be invited to be formed in the good, beautiful, and kind way. A life that we can have with God, not just in the you know renewed and healed world, you know that will one day be here, but in our world as it is right now. So, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to Daniel six, and as we do so, I'm just gonna or open your bulletins as you do so. Let me just pray, Lord, let the let the words of my mouth, and the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord. Our rock and our redeemer, Amen. So he was born after the Civil War, but before all hell seemed to break out loose. Before he was born, his country had split apart. The North and the South divided. They could no longer stay together. There was a lot of bloodshed, and because they were divided, they were weakened. And other countries started sort of scoping them out for their land, for their resources. Some say that he was barely a teen when the large empire nearby came calling, knocking on the door with their spears and their swords. And the invading army it came to the city where he lived so quickly that he didn't have any time to leave. He was stuck inside the city as it was under siege for 40 months. He couldn't run. He couldn't hide. Until the day that the city fell, the city symbolic of all their hopes and who they had once been, fell apart. That's a specific story we're looking at today, one that happened in the five six hundreds BC. But it's a familiar story. It happens again and again, all throughout our world, in all times, even in our time. In his day, barely as a young teen, when the when the when the city finally fell, he was taken as a hostage. Most people, many of them, were killed. But the youngest ones, and those who were born to royalty or higher born, were taken to be educated in the king's palace, right? Because nothing makes people know their place or stay in their place more than holding the future of their children. So the empire takes these children, holds their futures, trains them up in their own way, in their own visions of what life looks like, in their own visions of what the world should be, and that's the way things are. It's a fragmented, a deeply fragmented life. So he was taken into the king's court. Right, he was—he's living in luxury, but he's living in a foreign land as a prisoner, every day surrounded by the voices of his captors, 
So it's, it's fragmented. It's a story of displacement. And whether or not you can relate to it, maybe it sounds too big and too awful, but you can understand what it might be like. Because we all have echoes of fragmentation in our own lives. We are familiar with the evil, the ugly, the unkind. Now, if you haven't guessed, the person is Daniel, whose book, named after him, we're going to be looking at today. Now, oftentimes when someone lives through something as terrible as what Daniel lived through, it, it shapes and forms them, right? How could it not? And sometimes when things of this magnitude of trauma happen, you might not expect great things for their life, right? Like hurt people hurt people. You know, sometimes the worst abusers are those people who have themselves been abused as children, right? You might not expect much from this child's life. The thing is, Daniel, though, he doesn't disintegrate to the forces of fragmentation around him, the visions and the voices of Babylon. And if you were to read Daniel chapters 1 through 6, which I highly recommend reading this week, week, it's really good reading, you'll see that Daniel is like consistently a voice for good. He doesn't become bitter or mean or manipulative. He's not immobilized by fear either, which kind of blows my mind. Like, I think I would be, I would be. He's able to be a non-anxious presence, even in very tense situations. And how does he do this? Is he just one of those, like, amazing people, and we can say, oh, yes, he's an amazing person. I'm not, so I'm just going to, like, move on. <laughs> in which case, okay, well, let's talk about something else. Um, I saw this picture. I do think this woman is amazing. She's not just amazing, though. I think if you, if you click on it, Stacy, it might play. Oh, here we go. So this is Grandma. Ooh, it went away. Let's try it again. Okay, so this is Grandma. You see her? She's going to do something. Oh, we can't play it. Anyway, so if you can imagine with me, she actually stands all the way up. There you go. So if you're listening online, there's an amazing Grandma who just deadlifts, like, I don't know, like 200 pounds or something. Those of you who lift weights would know. It's a lot. She deadlifts a lot of weight. You know what? This lady didn't just wake up amazing. She has been practicing. She has been practicing, friends. She didn't wake up like this. She's been lifting weights for a while. And I have to say, Daniel, he didn't wake up just amazing one day, having been through all the terrible things he went through. No, Daniel actually was practicing. There were specific things he was practicing that opened himself to God every single day of his life. And that helped him resist the voices and the visions of fragmentation all around him. So Daniel, sure, he's kind of amazing, but he practiced. So today, I just want to draw your attention to a couple things in the text. As we ask ourselves, how might the good, beautiful, and kind be just a natural outcome of my life as I open myself to God? Daniel opened himself to God. So we're going to look at this in just a second. How did he do this? So that's the big context of Daniel's story, okay? I just kind of did Daniel 1 through 6 and gave you the context. Now, just a small context for what we're about to read, because really, this is like a long story. And I know I've read long passages before. Um, I remember once I read the entire book of a Bible to you. <laughs> we read all of Philemon. <laughs> it was like my first Sunday here after you called me. I don't know if you remember that. I came across a sermon the other day. I was like, wow, I read the whole book. <laughs> I'm so glad they, they didn't fall asleep. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to read a little bit. But to give you context for the little bit I'm reading, and I invite you, go read the whole thing yourself. Context for this little bit. Um, Daniel is no longer uh, a kid. He's no longer a young man. He's probably closer to that grandma's age. 
He's probably in his 70s or his 80s. A regime change has just taken place, and a new king is considering placing Daniel above all the other administrative leaders of the empire. So the new king likes Daniel, trusts him, wants to place him in charge of everybody, but Daniel's peers, they don't like that. They are not happy with that. And since Daniel's a good guy, they can't bribe him, they can't, you know, they don't have anything they can hang over his head because he's a person of integrity. So you know what they do? They decide to set a trap. So the king's not very clever. They go to the king and they persuade the king to make this law that for 30 days, no one can pray to anybody except the king. Like, they really appeal to the king's ego. They're like, let's make this law. Nobody can pray except to you, a wonderful king. And the king like, totally doesn't suspect anything. And he's like, great, sure. So the law is made, and that is where we pick up our scripture passage. Daniel 6, verses 10 through 12. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to go straight to number one in your notes. To resist the voices and visions that cause fracturing, I open myself to God by cultivating spiritual disciplines that form me in love. To resist the voices and visions that cause fracturing, right, that lead to the, the ugly, the unkind evil, I open myself to God by cultivating spiritual disciplines that form me in love. Right, because Daniel, he had all the excuses in the world to be the world's angriest person, the most unloving. But he's not. Actually, if you go back to chapter 1, the very beginning of, of chapter 6, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 1, his enemies have to concede that he has an excellent spirit in him. They're like, okay, he's pretty excellent. Like, even his enemies. And then, at the end, because spoiler alert, no one can save Daniel in the king's court, and Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, uh, you know what Daniel does when he next sees the king? He blesses him with long life. <laughs> Daniel is not a person who has been malformed. And the culture around him was toxic. It was corrupt. Right? He could have been formed by that. He could have been formed by the dominant religion in Babylon's day that idolized king and country, as well as laws, right? They so idolize their laws in this text, it says, like, not even the king could change them. And then after he's thrown to the lions, right, Daniel has a good attitude. How did he do it? How did he do it? Was he just an amazing person? We might get you're amazing. Let's move on. No, I, I think there's some practices he did. So I just want to draw your attention to them in the text. Um, right here, um, you'll see that he went home to his upstairs room. If, you go, if you're online, you can just pull up your own Bible and look at Daniel 6.10. He has created a routine in his life where three times a day he prays. And in this text, you might notice that he's, what's, what's he praying for? Well, he's giving thanks to God. And then if we look at the very next verse in verse 11, uh, he's asking God for help. So right now he's, he's, he's put prayer into the routine of his life. He's prays and thank God and he's asking God for help. So that's what we see like immediately in the text. The thing is, we can see a lot more as well. 
He's in the upstairs room facing Jerusalem. So he's keeping the vision of God's temple, right? This was the symbol for his people of God's presence and God's faithfulness. He can't see the temple, which has been destroyed, but he's keeping that vision in front of him in contemplation. He's praying the prayer of contemplation. You can only imagine if he's doing this every single day, three times a day, praying towards Jerusalem, that sometimes there were days he just had no words. It was that kind of day at the office. There were no words. He would just put himself down and gaze towards Jerusalem and pray a prayer of contemplation. As he spent time every single day, three times a day, as was his custom, he's also spending time in silence. So there's like nobody in that room being like, hey, you don't want to talk about the next thing on your to-do list? His smartphone isn't doing any charms, you know, letting him know, like, your next meeting is about to start. It's silent. And he's in solitude. All of these are spiritual disciplines, different types of prayer, being in silence, contemplating. He's also praying the prayer of recollection. Prayer of recollection is where we, we, we come to ourselves and we remember. And in this prayer of recollection, he is remembering what God has done for his people. He's coming to himself as a person, as a foreigner living in a foreign land. He just not even, doesn't even have the status of like an immigrant. He's like forced to be there. He's like awake to his soul. He's also remembering God's faithfulness. He's remembering who God is. And in order for him to do that, he would have had to practice a lot of forgiveness. Are you with me here? Do you see how this all plays out? We only see a little bit, but there's all this stuff underneath the surface. All these practices that went into forming this person every single day. Okay, forgiveness, spiritual discipline. Well, you know what? He wouldn't be able to gaze towards Jerusalem. I'm sure the first couple of times he did it, maybe the first, like, I don't know, decade, he was probably angry. I would be resentful. I would be upset. And those things are okay. It's okay to feel the way we feel. What's amazing is that he brought it to God. He brought it to God in prayer. That becomes a lament. So he comes and he does this, and you know what? I can imagine that sometime, sometime, he had to forgive. He had to forgive God. Where were you when I was, when I was in that city waiting for disaster? Where were you when I was separated from my family? Where were you, God? What about my people? You know, here they are, like, we're your chosen people, and yet we, like, go after all these other gods, and we practice all this injustice, and we do all these things that you'd, you don't want us to do, especially to the poor and the vulnerable, which you've specifically tasked us with loving. I can imagine he'd be mad, angry, resentful at his fellow country people. Daniel had to practice forgiveness. And if my guess is somewhat right, my guess is that he had to do it again and again and again and again. Three times a day. This isn't required in any law book. This isn't written about anywhere in the Torah. Daniel has just oriented his life to resist the visions and voices of Babylon, which are all around him. And friends, the visions and voices of our own fragmented age are all around us every single day. What are our daily disciplines? 
What do we do? Not because we want God to accept us or because we're scared we won't go to heaven when we die. What do we do so that we can be living into the good, kind, and beautiful vision of God so we can be growing healthily in the fruit God has for us so we can be part of God's renewed creation right here on earth as it is in heaven? You know, every day I wake up and, you know, I go straight for my phone. And then before I know it, I'm on Facebook. That tells you my age. If I were any younger, I would not be on Facebook. I'd be like on TikTok or something. <laughs> I go right to Facebook and then I have to like remember, oh my goodness, I don't want to start my day like this. I don't want to be on Facebook. I have people to hug. <laughs> I have like a world to become present to right here. I have some coffee to drink. <laughs> I have a routine every day. I have daily disciplines I do every single day, and so do you. I mean, do you eat a couple times a day? That's a daily discipline. Do you prepare food for someone or clean up after it? That's a discipline. If you're a caregiver, there are some disciplines that are like built right into your day. Like, you don't get to choose those. They're just right there, which can be its own way of connecting with the divine, with God. Friends, what do we do every single day? How might God want us to build in spiritual practices so we can be part of the good, beautiful, and kind? Daniel practiced a whole lot of them. Contemplation, recollection, silence, solitude, repentance, praise, lament, uh, petition, right? He's asking God for help. There's more. I'm kind of like forgetting But if you read the passage, you'll see, oh, he's fasting. Like the whole like, first chapter, he's fasting. So Daniel, he's living his whole life of practices, and they form him in love. Um, when I was a kid, one summer, um, I came home from the last day of school, and it was kind of sad. As a missionary kid, like oftentimes, uh, the kids that you go to school with, like they might not be there the next year. Like maybe they'll, be, they'll go back to their like, home countries, uh, or their parents might move away. And so a lot of my friends were going to be in the UK and in um, America the next year. So I was really sad. And my sister and I went home and we heard these little like, so these sounds, these little chirping sounds. And I'm like, what is it? And you know, my parents, they kind of a flair for the dramatic. Like, Close your eyes, hold out your hands. And we're like, what? We open our eyes and we each had a duckling. A duckling. My sister and I have always liked ducklings. Here's a picture from us from when we were very little with our ducklings. We were at a friend's house. These were not ours. So here's a picture of my sister and I receiving the ducklings, right, from my mom and dad. I believe we even have some kind of like baby bottle. And I think one of them, I'm a little embarrassed to say, I think it's mine. I think it's wearing doll clothes. That was me. I did that. <laughs> that poor duck. <laughs> So for the next, like, I don't know, five years, these ducks became our companions, and quickly they, they grew too big for the house, so we had to put them outside with our dog. And you know what? They bonded with our dog. They loved our dog. Our dog loved them. In fact, they spent so much time with our guard dog that they became little guard ducks. <laughs> Whenever the dog would run to the gate barking, they'd run to the gate quacking. Whenever he would go and eat, they would eat at a food bowl near him. I believe I even have a picture of it. The dog's running to the food bowl, and so are the two ducks, <laughs> ping and quacky. Whenever the dog would go to sleep for the night in his doghouse, they would nestle up right next to him. They thought they were dogs because they engaged in dog-like practices, and they became the best guard dogs we never had, <laughs> trained well by our faithful you know, dog father, who is just a great dog. Um, Yeah, yeah, like literally, like I have, I've had, I have stories of being robbed and they're, they're not great. 
And yet, the entire time we lived in this house and had these guard ducks, we were never robbed. So maybe that's the solution. <laughs> like, get some ducks, let them practice some practices of a dog. Everything will be good. <laughs> yes. Like nowadays, I think they'd have to have their own Instagram account or something. But see, these ducks. They were shaped and formed by the dog's practices to be kind of like dog-like themselves. And every single day, you and I, we wake up and we have a daily routine, right? There are things we do. What are we being shaped by? Who are we opening ourselves to? Who are we imitating? Daniel chose the right way, not the right way that got him to heaven, but a right way that brought heaven to earth. Moving to number two in your notes, and you know, before we go to number two, I have a reflection question for us. What are some of my current daily disciplines? The things you just do every day, maybe without thinking about them. Where in my schedule might I begin incorporating a new practice that orients me towards God? And I think this might be the the only reflection question we have time for right now. I encourage you, like as we move just quickly through the rest of the outline, like spend some time with the reflection questions this week. What are some of my current daily disciplines? Where am I? I begin incorporating a practice that orients me towards God. Moving to number two in your notes, to resist the voices and visions that cause fracturing, I open myself to God by supervising my allegiances. Supervising my allegiances. This means becoming aware of where our loyalties flow, right? Like, what apps do you have saved on your home screen? What serves as the background background noise of your life? Like, if someone came over, would there be a certain channel of the TV that's always on? Because there are like a new show that you never really turn off. Is there like one particular person online that you will believe no matter what they say? Right, this reveals our allegiances, and we all have them. Right, allegiances come out of our loyalties. They come out of being a human being that loves, that longs, and we're we're meant to supervise them. We don't just let them go any which way, because they might lead us in a path that is not wholeness. This past uh, maybe it was like two weeks ago. There's this leather store in Portland that I really like. I really like this leather store. And even though I've never been there in person, I've only been there online. Pastor Cheryl's been there in person for me, and she actually picked something up. It was wonderful. Thank you. I use it all the time. So I discovered that this this、um, this store has an online presence on Facebook. So I joined their little like you know insiders group. And before long, I am seeing all these gorgeous pictures of leather products, and people are like trading them and celebrating them and putting their pets in them.、And、I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't know they sold that color, and that's amazing. And then before I knew it, I had bought myself—I、uh, mean, bought Dan my Christmas present. <laughs> it already came in the mail. I gave it to him. I'm like, yeah, you remember that charge you were wondering about? This is my birth, my Christmas present. You're welcome. <laughs> I won't even charge you a finder's fee. <laughs> so it's literally under our bed as I speak. And then I was getting ready to get another thing that I don't need when I suddenly realized, wait a minute, I'm not supervising my allegiances. I'm spending all this time infatuated by all these gorgeous colors and textures and products, and suddenly it's all going in this direction, and I don't have time for that. I don't want to spend my resources that way. That's actually wait. I kind of had to like recall myself to myself. Like wait, wait a minute. Let's do a quick like gut check. 
So I had to like snooze the notifications because I didn't have the guts to remove myself from the group. <laughs> like, I'll just give myself a 30-day break. It's like a fasting, right? <laughs> Right? So I'm not saying things like that are bad things, but sometimes they can, they can turn us away. They can become things that actually keep us from the best thing of all, which is our allegiance flowing to God in God's ways. Now, Daniel, as like the top administrator, one of the top administrators in this empire, he had a lot to lose by not holding his loyalty to the king as paramount. Like, he had a lot to lose by, letting, by checking his allegiances, because that empire, they want all of your allegiances. The fact that you might need to go to your house to pray three times a day, I bet they didn't love that. You know, his coworkers sure didn't like it. The king tolerated it. He had to check his allegiances. He had to supervise them. You'd think now that there had been a regime change that he would be extra anxious to like, win this new king over, but he wasn't. He had so lived a life of supervising his loyalties that here now at the end, None of them got in the way of his open heart to God. Isn't that beautiful? His open heart to God took precedence because he supervised his allegiances. Because allegiances can be manipulated, right? I would say that most of the ugly, the unkind, the evil in the world has come from misapplied allegiances. So this week you can think about, where do my allegiances and loyalties slide? Where do they tend to go? Where do they tend to drift? How might I want to bring those back, to have an open heart to God? Think of that this week. Moving now to number three in your notes. You know, what struck me about this story is that Daniel could have just, you know, observed his allegiances to God quietly. He could have just been like, okay, well, there's this new law, so I guess I'll just, like, do silent prayer in my heart standing up. That'll work. Like, the king can't, can't see inside my soul. Okay, done. You know, things are really tough right now. I know these people are out to get me. There's like a new king. And there's like a pit of lions. Like, talk about fragmentation. Those things are ready to tear you to pieces, literally. Like, he could have totally just prayed silently in his heart. And you know, so many people have done that over the millennia and found that to be a way of resisting. They've chosen that way. Daniel, he, for him, that didn't quite work. Um... Didn't quite work. And I, I wonder why. I do. I want to ask Melanie Tenman, but that's off the, off the subject. Number three in your notes. To resist these voices and visions, right, that cause fracturing, fragmenting, I opened myself to God by practicing holy noncompliance when necessary. That's what, that's what he did. He's practicing this holy noncompliance that's visible. He's not just doing it in his heart, which is okay. That's wonderful. If that's where you got to start, do it. But for Daniel, it didn't feel enough. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to do what I always do. And for him, this is, it looks like, holy noncompliance. Now, if we were going to be reading um, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, I'm not sure I do have it here. Some people say, oh, well, Daniel did this just because he didn't know the law had been made yet. Um, check out verse 10. How does it begin? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he knew... <laughs> He, he, was not, he was not, like, hearing about the second hand. Like, he knew. He's, like, one of the top officials in the kingdom. He's probably there, probably there as it came out of the king's mouth. He knew, and he chose to visibly break the law anyway. And what's interesting to me, as I read a little bit more about this passage, so this particular chapter of the Bible isn't written in Hebrew. In fact, this whole section um, of Daniel is written in Aramaic, 
right, which would be like the, the, popular, the popular language of the day. And in the Aramaic there, when it says the windows were opened, um, it's, it's a verb, the windows were opened. And it's different than it being saying, like, the windows were open every day. It says the windows were opened. And this is not clear in our English text. It makes it sound as though, like, the windows just happened to be opened towards Jerusalem. But in the Aramaic, the windows were opened, which meant that someone had to open them. And in the Vulgate, they went even clearer. This is a Greek text. They have Daniel throwing open the windows, flinging open the windows three times a day. So there's this, this picture of action. Not just that, like, the windows happened to be open to Jerusalem, but they were opened by Daniel. They were even perhaps flung open. So Daniel's taking it, this holy non-compliance thing, very seriously, opening the windows three times a day. It's not very politically savvy, but he does it anyway, to face his North Star, to be a visible sign of non-compliance to the powers that were trying to mandate his actions and allegiance. And he pays the price for it, doesn't he? Right? When you go on to read the chapter this week, you'll find that even though the king is really sympathetic to Daniel and really likes Daniel, like nobody can change the law. So Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. And he joins the long list of people who, because of love, love of God, love of God's good, practice noncompliance, holy noncompliance, and paid the price for it. This past week, we celebrated the birthday of um, our last queen, Queen Leo Kalani, who paid the price of noncompliance. After uh, the overthrow of the, the Hawaiian kingdom, she was able to petition the U.S. Congress, and she, had, uh, she received a ruling that it was an illegal takeover by the U.S. government, who said this is an illegal takeover. So she, she got that. And then when she tried to regain control of her land, and it failed, she fully confessed, took responsibly for the whole thing. She took responsibly for it. That's what she did. So that those who were fighting would not be executed. And that's when she was imprisoned in her own palace. She practiced holy noncompliance. She had people to care for. She had land that was entrusted to her from generations. And she didn't want that just to be stolen. So she spoke up for it. She paid the price. When she was imprisoned, she wrote some of the most beautiful poems and hymns and prayers to God as she practiced prayer from within the shut-in windows of her own house. She practiced holy noncompliance. It was after reading the book of Daniel that a young man in South Africa began grappling with the idea of, like, what does holy noncompliance look like? How might it be utilized for good in our world now? Not just something that people used long ago, but used right now. And he was in South Africa, and he was living in a time where you couldn't have, like, you know, a white person and a person of color on the sidewalk at the same time. Like, it was literally against the law. So he was on the sidewalk talking with a missionary about this, a white missionary, and he was, he's not white, he's a person of color, and talking about Daniel and saying, why are you not practicing holy noncompliance? And the missionary is like, well, maybe it's, like, metaphorical. <laughs> As, as the police were coming down the street. It's metaphorical. For Daniel, it wasn't metaphorical. He's literally there opening the windows. And it was this person, Gandhi, the young Gandhi, who was so inspired by Daniel 6, this passage we read today, that it became part of the theological underpinnings of all his freedom work when he went back to his homeland in India. Daniel impacted him. 
Daniel's story of holy non-compliance helped him work for wholeness against what was ugly and evil and unkind occupying his land. Friends, and there's Jesus. Jesus also did not comply. He did not comply with rules about healing and harvesting, needed food on the Sabbath and ceremonial washing. Jesus did not comply with Pilate's demands to give an answer for himself. Jesus did not comply with any of the powers that fragment. He resisted the visions and the voices, even of the tempter, the tempter. And that's how Jesus lived into the core of who he was. He also practiced noncompliance. And friends, when we look at Daniel's story, at the end of the day, we see something, we do see some fragmentation revealed. We see the people who are actually fragmented. It's not Daniel. He's been able to live and build himself a life of wholeness with God through his practices, through moderating his allegiances, through his noncompliance. You know who's fragmented at the end of the day? It's the king. The king, like, rushes through the night, uh, spends all night long. He doesn't have any entertainments, like, you know, no servants, no concubines, nothing, no food. The king is, like, harassed and, like, just so stressed out. Yeah, he's probably making all sorts of sounds. Who knows? The king, like, rushes down there at the break of day. He's, like, you can just imagine his hair is all over the place. And Daniel's just, like, kind of, like, chill in there. He's been been practicing prayer for a long time. He's probably contemplating. I don't know. (laughs) He's spent enough time in silence and solitude. Daniel's okay. The king is kind of discombobulated. He's a little fragmented. And then at the end of the day, even after that, all the people that had, you know, rushed the king to try to create this, this law that would put Daniel in trouble, at the end of the day, they actually wind up literally fragmented. They're thrown to the lions. The scripture says they don't even make it all the way down, right? The king does that. The king's kind of fragmented, fragments them. And friends, every single day, you and I live in a world that is fragmented. We do. It's deeply beautiful. It's deeply beautiful, and it's fragmented. And we're invited to live, to, to, to pick up practices and incorporate them into our lives so we can par- be part of God's good, God's beautiful, God's kind. See, when Daniel was in that pit, that wasn't his first time in a pit. You could say maybe he was in a pit when he was stuck in that city and he couldn't get out, he couldn't be free. He couldn't find safety. You could say maybe he was stuck in a pit as he was forcibly taken in shackles to Babylon. You could say maybe he was in a pit when he had to like work to survive and, and grow his soul and find wholeness. By the time he's in a pit with the lions, this is just another episode in his life. Just another day in the life of what it means to be Daniel. And friends, you and I all around us, we have our own pits. And we also have the one who comes to bring us to wholeness out of them, who invites us step by step with each practice we pick up to be part of the good, the beautiful, and the kind. Let's pray. Holy and good God, may your spirit so work in us so we can resist the visions and voices of fragmentation all around us. May your spirit so work in us that we can check our allegiances before they lead us down paths that are ugly and unkind and sinful and not of you. May your spirit at work in us call us, just as Daniel looked towards to Jerusalem, to focus our vision on your goodness, on your faithfulness, and to find in our spiritual practices, our life with you, a growing wholeness. Spirit, meet us where we are at. 
we open ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.